for those who don't know me, my name is Colin, and one of the hats I wear here at Emmaus is that I supervise the uh, prayer ministry. So for some time, I have been wanting to speak on a topic of prayer, and now have the opportunity, and then <gasps> how do I start? How do I get started on such a big topic as prayer? And then I realized, well, I'm really in good company because Jesus faced the same dilemma. One day Jesus was praying, and when he was finished, one of his disciples came to him and he said, Lord, please teach us how to pray. And Jesus must have wondered, where do I get started with this? But he did get started, and what did he say? He said to pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today I propose that we look at this prayer very carefully, but I'll be asking another question too. What does it look like when people decide to get together and to pray along those lines? But let me start with the prayer itself. In Luke, because the Lord's Prayer is in Luke, uh, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. And that's what we do every Sunday, actually. We'll be doing it in a few minutes. We say the words of the Lord's Prayer together. But let's be honest, we've heard these words so many times that um, the meaning of these words is wearing thin a little bit. Sometimes we forget what they mean. And, and that could be trouble because we kind of missed it in, in the uh, reading we had over there. But Jesus said not to heap up empty phrases. Um, and, and that's why some people have wondered, well, is it good enough to just say the Lord's Prayer? Is that good enough? Maybe we should do more. So some people presumably have said, well, uh, we could say it a second time. Yeah, let's do that. Let's say it twice. Let's uh, say it five times. Let's say it 55 times. And you might have uh, heard of traditions where people string a whole sequence of our fathers as a kind of spiritual discipline. Now, I think by then we're really getting into trouble because Jesus said not to be like the Gentiles who think they will be heard for their many, many words. So then what are we to do? Thankfully, Matthew is a little bit more helpful than Luke because in Matthew it reads differently. In Matthew it says that Jesus said, pray then like this. So what that means is pray along those lines. But then how can we pray along those lines if we are not sure that we understand the lines? In other words, yeah, we'd like to use different words and, you know, change it up a little bit, but it's not easy to do that if we're not even exactly sure what these uh, original words mean. So we have to be clear on the meaning. That's a good place to start. And I found it really helps to understand that the Lord's Prayer is a chiasm. That's not the key to everything, but it's interesting, actually. A chiasm is simply a sequence of ideas, like idea A, idea B, idea C, and then you retrace your steps back to the first idea. In other words, you'd have idea A, B, C, and then down again, B, A, like a pointy mountain. And idea C, which is right up there, 
really stands out because it's alone at the top of the mountain. We call that the central idea. So that, that's really a good guide for us. So let's have, thank you, first slide. So this is our passage. A, our Father in heaven. B, we're going up the mountain. Hallowed be your name. C, we're at the top. Your kingdom come. B, your will be done. A, on earth as in heaven. Now, I wrote A prime and B prime because it's not the same as ideas A or B, but it's close enough, right? If you look at it carefully, I think I'll take that because I like to move. Hello. All right. So A has heaven in it in blue. A prime also has heaven and has earth right between the two heavens. So there's a connection. B in B talks about your will and that is to be done or B prime. In B, it's, this is about your name and that is to be hallowed. And finally, C at the top, your kingdom come, the central idea. So we have three levels, A, B, C. And each level has an important lesson for us. So I'd like to take them one at a time. Let's start with level C, the central idea here that Jesus, because if we were to forget about most of this, we should remember one thing, the central idea. Jesus asked to pray like this, that the kingdom of his father would come. I wonder if that comes as a surprise uh, to some of us, but actually I'm telling you, you should not be surprised one bit by that, because after all, when Jesus traveled all over Galilee and beyond it, preaching to the crowds, what did he announce? He announced the coming, the good news, the gospel of the coming of the kingdom of his father. Next slide. Thank you. I won't go over all that, but I wanted to list from the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the places where it says black and white what it is that Jesus announced to the crowds. It's all about the kingdom of God and about the kingdom of God coming, the good news, the gospel. So is it any wonder that when a disciple came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, is it any wonder that Jesus says, well, pray that the kingdom of my father would come. So I find that completely consistent, which is wonderful. Things make sense. Uh, next slide. So I'm back to, thank you. Back there now. Here's another question. What is the kingdom of God? Uh, the funny thing is that we see the answer to that every Sunday. We'll see it in a few minutes. Because when we say the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come, we have that on one side of the slide. But on the other side of the slide, it says, que ton royaume vienne. Que ton règne vienne. I'm sorry. Que ton règne vienne. So there it is. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is the exercise of his authority, of his power. You might say it is the manifestation of his glory, the glory of his kingship. So we have these same words in English. Think about it. What's at the end of the Lord's Prayer? It says, 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the all synonyms in a sense. Ian Henderson, sorry for making you jump, uh, Ian, you must be on Zoom. Two weeks ago, Ian was talking to us, he used the words kingship, if you remember. He also used the word dominion. So as he said, actually, I agree, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's not a territory. It is a fact. It is the fact of God exercising the rule of a king, which is what he is. So we need to flesh this out a bit. I guess the important question is, what does it look like when God reigns? And that's where level B comes into play. We've done C, now we're into B. So um, those, they kind of surround C and they describe what it looks like when God reigns. And the first one is the really obvious one, your will be done. I say that's obvious. Actually, Luke, in his version of the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't even say that. Because it goes without saying, if one is truly a king, his will is going to be done, right? And if his will is not done, well, he's no king at all. He is what you would call a, a puppet king. So that's the obvious one. But wait, that's not enough to describe the reign of God. That's very important. And that's where B comes into play. The B part tells us that when God reigns, of course his will is done, but his name is also hallowed. Now, the first time I saw the word hallow, I said, what? Uh, is it me or does the word hallow reminds me of something called Halloween? And at the time that didn't help me one bit. But I've learned a few things since then, so I'd like to share that with you. Uh, next slide. And actually, I think that's timely because uh, Halloween's going to be upon us in a few short weeks. So I said, why not? That's, that way is as good as any other. So here goes. Uh, All Saints Day. If you're a good Anglican, you know All Saints Day. It's a traditional feast still observed on November 1 by the Anglican Communion. It's to remember the dead and especially the saints. And it has liturgy around it, and the liturgical celebration actually starts the night before. It starts on the evening of October 31st, and it's called All Saints' Eve or All Saints' Evening. Now, I want to introduce two new words for you. You won't use them because they're old words, they're archaic. One is the hallows, what's that? Well, that used to mean the saints. And even, that's a little easier, even used to, be, to mean the evening. So, a long time ago, All Saints Evening was actually called All Hallows Even. Or if you wish, Halloween or Halloween. Halloween, there you go. So bottom line is, yes, Halloween is from the archaic word hallow, which means a saint. The word continues to be used today, as in the Lord's Prayer, uh, in its verbal form, to hallow. So yes, there is a connection between the Lord's Prayer and Halloween. There you go. Next slide. But we haven't really answered. What does it mean to hallow? We know that the word hallow means a saint. So then the verb to hallow means to make something or somebody saintly. In other words, to sanctify. We have a verb for that, sanctify. Again, the French have it right. I like to talk about the French. They say, again, we're going to be reading this in a few minutes. 
Where it says, your name be hallowed in French, it says, que ton nom soit sanctifié, sanctified. The ESV proposes in its footnotes, uh, we could also say, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be treated with reverence. More synonyms, strongest concordance to the rescue. Making the name of the Lord holy, treating it as holy, setting it apart as holy, consecrating it, sanctifying it, purifying it. So here's my take on it. This is the Colin version. A saint is one who was set apart by God. Why? For purification or sanctification. And then I put in this little, uh, for me, that conjures up the image of a, a clay vessel with the master potter at work. That is sanctification. So to hallow is similar. To hallow is to set apart the name of the Father. Why? For pure uses. And let's get back to the Lord's Prayer again. So this is really important to understand about the reign of God. It's not just that the perfect will of God is obeyed. It's also that God himself is worshipped. So you have obedience and you have worship. Actually, did you notice worship's mentioned before obedience? Because the will to obey derives from a desire to honor the name of God and all that this name stands for. That's the sequence. So when we see all kinds of movements in society, there's many such movements nowadays that promise to make the world a better place, I would caution you not to mistake those movements for the coming of the reign of God, because chances are those movements are not grounded in a desire to hallow the name of the Lord. And for that reason, I expect that the fruits of the efforts of these movements to be charitable, I would say the efforts will produce very mixed fruits, if not disastrous fruits. It has happened. So beware of false messiahs. Now on to level A. It says here, very interesting too, something to learn about this. It says that the coming of the reign of God and the execution of his will, we're supposed to pray that this would all happen on earth as it is in heaven. So if you stop to think about it, this is a prayer for the earth. It's not a prayer for heaven. Heaven does not need our prayers. And that's because God is already there. And because God is already there in heaven, well, his name is hallowed over there in heaven, and his will is done over there in heaven. What we need, as Jesus told us to pray, is that the kingdom of his father, of our father, would come to this miserable earth. So if you think that the name of the Lord is presently honored on this earth as it is in heaven, well, you haven't watched a Netflix series for quite some time. And if you think that the will of the Father is done on the earth right now, as it is in heaven, you haven't opened a newspaper for quite some time. Now, another point, there's a lot of talk about saving the earth. 
it seems the whole world is buzzing about this uh, gospel in a sense, saving the earth, uh, putting all their faith in human governments and technology to achieve that goal. Um, I thought it was very interesting that Jesus did give us a prayer for the earth. It's very different. It's not the world's prayer for the earth. It's a prayer that the reign of God would come on the earth as it is in heaven. So I guess the question is, what do you think will save the earth in the end? Is it our wonderful governments and cutting edge technology or is it perhaps the coming of the reign of God? So um, food for thought, but as far as I'm concerned, I'll put my money on God. Well, I think I have a point. My own government wants to fix the climate of the world, but it's not even able to print passports on time. Now, another question, which I will avoid. Don't worry. But the question is, okay, how does that relate to the coming of Christ in glory? We await the return of Christ in glory. As well as a connection, I, I won't go there today. Uh, the beauty of it is I don't need to go there. Because every Christian in the world, I think, agrees on one thing, which is that the kingdom of God is already here. It is marching forward. Although we may not see it, Jesus said, kingdom is in your, is in your midst. And people who were saying that too were probably looking around and saying, well, I don't see it. Jesus said it is here. We can agree on that. So if we wish for the kingdom of God to indeed come on earth, we can wish and pray for something that's already happening. That's the wonderful thing. So yes, every time somebody comes to the new realization that God knows him or her by name, down to the very he uh, hairs on, on their heads, when they come to the realization that God not only knows them, but loves them, and not only that, but God has a plan for them. Every time this happens, every day that it does, the name of God is honored more than it was yesterday. And every time somebody, every day, somebody subjects to baptism as a sign of repentance, of covering by the blood of Christ and walking in newness of life, every time that happens, the will of God exists on the earth more than it did yesterday and the kingdom of god is marching forward and that was the mind of christ with no hesitation how do we pray the reign of god come on the earth and if that's on our minds too we would be praying for what the reign of god looks like the execution of his will and the honoring of his name among as many people as possible who would turn their lives over to God. Now, my final question, I told you I would ask you that question. What does it look like when the people of God get together and pray that the reign of God would progress on the earth? I have two true stories for you and a very impressive first story for you. But I have a second story which is closer to home and I would prefer to conclude with that one. But my first story is a big one. It's the Welsh Revival as told by Edwin Orr at the National Prayer Congress in Dallas, Texas in 1976. You can find a complete talk of Edwin Orr on, on YouTube if you're interested. I'll just give you a few extracts. 
Just want to say, though, for those who don't know, the Welsh are the people who inhabit Wales, and Wales is a region of Great Britain. So that'll set the context. I'll start a quote right here. So what follows from here? Until I say end of quote, that's not me talking, it's Edwin Orr. Here goes. Dr. A.T. Pearson once said, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. I'd like to talk to you today about what God has done through concerted, united, sustained prayer. Most people have heard of the Welsh Revival, which began in 1904. It began as a movement of prayer. Evan Roberts was devoted to God and was a man of prayer, praying for revival in Wales. Evan Roberts was 26 and studying for the ministry. He could not concentrate on his studies. He went to the principal of his college and said, I hear a voice that tells me I must go home and speak to our young people in my own home church. Is that the voice of the devil or the voice of the spirit? The principal answered very wisely, the devil never gives orders like that. You can take a week off. So he went back home to Lahore and he announced to the pastor, I've come to preach. The pastor was not at all convinced. But he said, how about speaking at the prayer meeting on Monday? The pastor said to the praying people, our young brother Evan Roberts feels he has a message for you if you care to wait. 17 people waited. Evan Roberts said to them, I have a message for you from God. You must confess any known sin to God and put any wrong done to man right. Second, you must put away any doubtful habit out of your life. Third, you must obey the spirit promptly. Finally, he said, you must confess your faith in Christ publicly. And by 10 o'clock, all 17 had responded. The pastor was so pleased. He said, how about speaking for us at the mission service tomorrow night? Midweek service, Wednesday night. He preached all week. They asked him to stay for another week. And then the break came. You say, what do you mean the break? I've read the Welsh newspapers of the period. Great crowds of people drawn to Lachar. They said for some days a young man named Evan Roberts was causing great surprise. The main road on which the church was situated was packed from wall to wall, people trying to get into the church. And people were closing shops and stores early to get a place in the church. Now the news was out. They sent a reporter down and he described what he saw. He said it was a strange meeting. It closed at 4.25 in the morning and then the people didn't seem to be willing to go home. He said the people were still standing outside the church talking about what had happened. And then a very British summary. He said, I felt this was no ordinary gathering. The news was out. Next day, every grocery store in that industrial valley was packed out. People buying, buying groceries. People who had come to the meetings. On Sunday, every church filled and it went like a tidal wave over Wales. There were a hundred thousand people converted in that movement. The social impact was astounding. For example, judges had not a case to try. 
no rapes, no robberies, no murders, no burglaries, no embezzlements, nothing. The district councils had emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. In fact, they sent for a sergeant of the police and said, what do you do with your time? Well, before the revival, uh, two main jobs. Uh, one was to prevent crime, the other to control crowds as at football games. But since the revival started, there's practically no crime. So we just go with the crowds. The counselors uh, said, what does that mean? Well, you know who the crowds are, they're packing the churches. But how does that affect the police? Well, we have 17 police in our station with three quartets. And if any church wants a quartet, they simply call the police station. That revival swept Wales. Drunkenness was cut in half. There was a wave of bankruptcies, but nearly all taverns. There was even a slowdown in the mines. You say, how can a religious revival cause a strike? No, no, it didn't cause a strike, just a slowdown. So many Welsh coal miners were converted and stopped using bad language that the horses that dragged the trucks in the mines could not understand what was being said to them anymore. And transportation slowed down for a while. When I first heard that story, I thought it was a tale, but I, a, high, a tall tale, but I, I can document it. Not me speaking, Edwin Orr. That revival swept Great Britain. It broke out in Norway. It so moved Norway that the Norwegian parliament passed special legislation to permit laymen to conduct Holy Communion because the clergy could not keep up with the number of converts who wanted to take Holy Communion. It swept Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Canada from coast to coast, all the United States, Australia, New Zealand, all corners of Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Chile. And it began through a movement of prayer. It began with prayer meetings all over the United States, and soon there came the great time of harvest. So what's the lesson we can learn? It's a very simple one. It's that familiar text. If my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What's involved in this? God expects us to pray. But we must not forget what Jonathan Edwards said when he said to promote explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people in extraordinary prayer. It must be united, it must be concerted. You folk who are here, Edwin Orr speaking, those who listen to my voice must take it back to your churches. And when they are prepared to set aside time to pray for a spiritual awakening, that's when God's going to answer. End of quote. I know I'm, I'm myself intimidated, but I thought it would be worth reading it because this actually happened. This actually happened. It is verifiable. It didn't just happen to Wales, but that's interesting. Because of our British roots, I thought you'd like the story. Uh, a more down-to-earth story, which I experienced personally, a short one. It's something I read in, in the... Uh, in, I think, Anglican Journal, but it really moved me because it was talking about a Catholic parish who was offering the Alpha Course, Introduction to Christianity. And it worked well, and then they did it again, then they did it again, but it wasn't working so well. People were not interested, people were not showing up, and they wondered why they were doing this. 
they wondered, well, there's two things we can do. We can just stop, or we can seek God's favor on this course and bless it. And they decided to get together and to offer intentional, sustained prayer that the Lord's will would be done with that course. And I wasn't there. I read the news, though. I believe what happened. They said that was their turnaround. And then people started coming. I guess I was just realizing that it was God's work, that we're just instruments. God does it. And they had to seek them out. And I found that very humbling because Alpha is an Anglican course. And there's a part of me that kind of smirks when I hear that, oh, Catholics are giving the Alpha course. Well, good luck. Uh, they must be skipping a few lessons, I guess. And, but the better part of me says, well, that's great. I mean, the more the better, right? If the Catholics are blessed by it and brings people to the Lord, fantastic. So I was humbled to receive that lesson from Catholics who realized that it's all about prayer because it's God's work. We seek him out. We're just instruments. How do we conclude this? Well, just a very quick summary. When Jesus was asked, teach us to pray, he says, quite simple, pray for the coming of the reign of God my Father. What does that look like? When God reigns, his will is done. His will, perfect will, is done. And his name is honored. When that happens, God's kingdom is marching forward. That was on Jesus' heart. That should be on our hearts as well. This is what we should be praying for.